Well, it's an honor to be here with y'all. It is no small uh, thing to have somebody come and open up the Word of God and preach for y'all. And I just want to thank Derek for this opportunity. And uh, I just got to say, you know, with Rob being out, you know, people could say, you know, you're, you're, just, uh, you're just floating. But no, I see a church that is thriving. You know, that just blessed my heart hearing the kids singing the songs, singing out to Christ. I mean, I could hear them more than I could hear y'all adults. I mean, that is a church that is thriving when your kids can sing the songs out. And I mean, I just love that to see a childlike faith. And I had the opportunity of being the, the pastor here at this church that some of your kids actually came to our VBS. And they were wonderful. They knew the gospel. They, they were just pleasant to be around. And I even saw a couple of them. And our, our theme was um, um, concrete and cranes. And uh, we had this saying that when I would ask them, uh, Jesus is, they would, there we go. <laughs> And, you know, your kids did it tonight. I mean, it's just so wonderful. And I'm just glad that we could uh, just uh, champion um, Christ with your children at VBS and that they still retained that and had a good time. Um, but now, uh, if you would, please open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 47 through 52. And as you're turning there, let me pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you for this night. And Lord, we thank you for this body of believers. God, we pray as we are here in our weakness that you will strengthen us. Lord, we all have trials and tribulations in this life. Lord, we all had struggles with coming to church. But God, you have given us the power to be here. And Lord, we are under your authority. And we just pray that your word will flood in and give us the strength. That it will feed our souls, Lord. That it will quench our thirst. Lord, that we will experience you in new ways uh, in your word. Father God, let this service just be a blessing to your heart. And Lord, let it be a blessing to your people. For everyone that's here, I pray that you open up our our. our um, ears and our hearts to your word and father give me your holy spirit to teach and preach the words that you've laid on my heart being everything that is said tonight in jesus name amen well if you have your bibles uh, starting with verse 47 it says again the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea now see i i, I find this interesting that y'all have been going through matthew and other preachers get the, the hidden treasure, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure, and then someone gets the, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl, but I get the nasty fishnet. <laughs> you know, I, I see what Derek's doing here, all right? Any fishermen in the house? No? Okay, well. Well, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Why would Christ say that? Well, if... if Y'all have been here um, throughout this uh, uh, chapter. Christ has talked about the kingdom of heaven several times. And that's why it starts out with again. Because he has taught them again the kingdom of heaven. Again the kingdom of heaven. Again the kingdom of heaven. You have went through parable after parable as Christ describes the kingdom of heaven in a way that men can try to understand. That's the whole point of parables. It puts it in a package to where you can kind of understand. That it is giving you a spiritual truth in an earthly package. 
if that makes sense. In verse 36, uh, I don't know if it's a couple weeks ago or not, but the parable that Jesus gave about the tares, the disciples had to stop and ask, well, explain this to me. And so many times that Jesus had to take the disciples to the side and explain the parable, how it, uh, uh, the, the truth behind, the spiritual truth behind the words that he had spoke. So if you wanted to title this sermon, it would be, Have You Understood? Because uh, down in verse uh, 57, he actually asked the question, Do you understand? So the kingdom of heaven, um, in Matthew verse, or chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, uh, the, uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now this is interesting that John the Baptist starts out in, in chapter 3 saying the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. And then you see Jesus in his ministry talking about the kingdom of heaven is like. So uh, the, uh, the, John the Baptist was preparing the way for the kingdom and Jesus is the kingdom. The king has come. He is the Messiah. He is declaring his lordship. The kingdom of heaven has come to mankind. This is what Jesus is proclaiming. Uh, he is here to call out those unto himself. Jesus is proclaiming and setting down his kingship over the church age. So when we see the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is trying to describe to us this next age that the church is going to be thrust into. And we see that he describes it as a dragnet. Gathering fish, fish of every kind. Well, like I said, there wasn't no fishermen. When I was a kid, I fished a lot. In West Virginia, there's not much to do. So we did go down to the creek and we fished. I've never fished with a net, thank God, because I'd probably tangle myself and drown in the water if I tried. But we fished with a, uh, with a uh, rod and reel and we cast out. But in the time of Jesus, all the most of the disciples were fishermen. They fished the Galilee. They were, it was the big business. You'd go out and you'd take these nets and you'd throw out and you'd catch as many fish as you could to sell. But this dragnet is a specific type of net. It, it was weighted. And so as they threw it out, they actually drug it. And it drug on the bottom and they held it. And as they pull, it just gathers everything up into it as they pull it up on the beach. You'd have everything that you could catch that was in that span. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like this dragnet. It is going to catch all kinds. It's going to catch every kind. It's going to catch all these things that it can possibly catch. When Jesus is proclaiming the church, the church is going to catch a crowd. Jesus was, no, uh, 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 was not a uh, stranger to the crowds. Everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Why? Because sickness left. Because when Jesus showed up on the scene, he was healing everybody from every sickness. When Jesus showed up on the scene, demons were cast out of people. When Jesus was on the scene, nature bent to his will. He would calm the sea with just a voice. No matter where Jesus was going, he was doing a miracle and proclaiming the kingdom was here. Jesus was showing his might over death, over hell, over sickness, over every possible thing this world could look to. Jesus was showing his power and his uh, authority over and so, of course, man, that drew crowds. Man, did you see what this guy did? Man, he cast demons out. Man, he, he took two pieces of bread and some fish, and man, he just multiplied it and fed 5,000. 
He would do all these things and it would uh, bring in the crowds. Not, not no different than today. Man, when we have church, there's a crowd. There's people that come in and they're drew in by either fellowship or the community or anything that you could possibly think of. People are drawn to crowds. The Word of God will pull in people. But now, Jesus does say in verse 48, And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach, and they sat down and they gathered up the good fish into a container, but the bad fish they threw away. So it would be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from the righteous, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, into a place there will be, uh, be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus gives us only two types of people. I know there's so many scientists out there, and there's so many philosophers and, 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 and psychologists, and man, they'll break people down into so many different categories. The Bible says there's two. There's the bad and the good, the wicked and the righteous. So it makes you wonder, well, who are the bad? Who are the wicked? This net has caught so many. Who are all these wicked people? Well, Romans 3 verse 10 tells us, There is none righteous, there is no righteous person, not even one. Every single person that has come through those doors are wicked. Every person that has been born on this earth is wicked. Every person that has uh, tried to uh, fulfill the law, that's tried to attain God, that has done this or done that or done this or that, they are all wicked according to the Bible. But there's some preachers I've seen on TV will tell you, well, you're 99.9% .9 good. That's not what the Bible teaches. The, t the Bible teaches us that our hearts are evil and wicked, that our tongues are evil and wicked. And then God puts a parenthesis on it, not even one. Not one of us. The biggest offense of the gospel is none of us are righteous. All of us fall short of the glory of God. None of us meet the standards. None of us meet the, the, the criteria that we are all under the penalty of our sins. There are people out there that will go to church every Sunday. And they will try to enrich their lives uh, with earthly pleasures through the church. They will show up and they will mingle and they will uh, try to network and they will try to do all these different things because there's a community of people and they might be able to, to edge out a way where they can be, uh, come out a little bit more on top. They're not saved, but man, they can look the part. The Bible warns us of sheep's and wolves' clothing. Or wolves and sheep's clothing. That, that's better. <laughs> I promise you, I am a professional speaker. <laughs> but there's people out there that they'll read their Bibles. They'll pray. They'll come in and they'll sing the songs. Man, they'll have on the nice suits. They'll speak the Christian language. They'll look the part. They'll talk the part. They, you would see them and you'd be like, yeah, that's a Christian. But that's not what saves you, people. That is not what turns you from wickedness into righteousness. And I am telling you all those things, they're good things. Don't get me wrong. You should read your Bible. You should pray. You should sing hymns. You should encourage your brothers and sisters. You should feed the, the sick and the hurting. But it is only the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, that will change you from a wicked person into a righteous one. 
It is only the gospel that transforms us, that really changes our destinies from a sinner bound for hell into the righteousness of God. And it tells us what happens to the wicked ones that are caught. They are thrown into a furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal torment. But man, I heard somebody say that God is love and and God wouldn't uh, cast people into hell. There is a punishment for sin. God is absolutely love, but He is absolutely righteous. He does not let you get away with your sin. He does not overlook your sin. There must be a payment for your sin and the wages is death. So we have a problem. We all have a problem. Because remember, there are none righteous No, not one. Not the preacher man. He's not righteous. Not the deacon, not the TV preacher. None are righteous. No, not one. But then Jesus says the second category, the good fish, the righteous one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the most encouraging, wonderful verse in the Bible. If there is nothing you know about the Bible, this is the one verse where you should take home. This is the one verse that you should repeat to yourself. That God, He made Him, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who knew no sin, who was perfect and righteous, who came to earth, stepped down from heaven, and stepped into a body of flesh that was born of a virgin, that walked the walk, that, was, uh, that obeyed the law, that fulfilled the law to a T, perfection. He knew no sin, but he became sin. He was beaten and nailed to a cross, and the wrath of God was poured out upon him. Why would God do that? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He was nailed to a cross. On our behalf. It's the great uh, substitution. So that we might become the righteousness of God. When God looks at Jesus on the cross. He sees my sin. He sees your sin. He sees the sins of the world upon his shoulders. And then when he looks at me. He sees Jesus' righteousness. Jesus gets the raw end of the deal. He gets my sin, my wickedness, and He pays for it. And I get His goodness and His righteousness. Why? Why would He do this? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not a way. He is the only way. There is only one way to be perfect and righteous in front of a holy God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sinless Lamb that was slain before the the foundations of the earth. It was always the plan that Jesus would die on the cross to offer salvation to us. John Calvin once said, Beware of placing even the smallest drop of confidence in anything apart from the gospel. It is only the gospel that we rely on. It is only the gospel that changes a wretch like me into the Son of God. It is only the gospel that that transforms me from who I was to who God wants me to be. It 
In verse 51, Jesus says, have you understood all these things? Then they said, yes. The only reason, now this is extra biblical. This is an opinion. The only reason I think they got this parable is because they were fishermen. So they were like, yeah, you talk about fishing, we got that. That's in our wheelhouse. But they said, yes, we understand this one. They must, it's almost like there should be an exclamation point. Like, yeah, we get this one. And Jesus said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure, uh, things new and old. Jesus talks about a scribe and a disciple. I find that interesting. Then he talks about the new and the old. Well, the scribes were, were, were these, uh, the set of people that were actually uh, lawyers. They, they were uh, named in uh, some parts of the Bible. But scribes, they would literally take the holy text, and their job was to copy the holy text. And, but before they could do that, man, they had to cleanse themselves. They had to go do these ceremonies. They had to do all these things to get prepared. And if they made one little mistake, if they made one little wrong little tick this way or that way, put a comma or a parenthesis or misspelled something, man, they had to rip it up. They had to burn it. And then they had to go through the whole process again. The scribe represents a work-based system to God. The scribe represents man's best idea of religion. The scribe represents everything that is wrong with us. We think we can get to heaven on our own. In a sense, we think we're smarter than God and that we'll just figure out the right way and we'll do it. That's what being a scribe is. It is, you, can, you can have all this head knowledge of God. Man, they knew the Old Testament front and back. They copied it several times. So they could repeat the stories. They could tell you the, 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 the foundations of the faith. And they could tell you all these uh, wonderful characters. And they could lead you into doing the right thing and saying the right thing. And man, they could tell you the law permits this and the law doesn't permit that. And you can do this and you can do that. They were basically the task master. They worked, and they worked, and they worked, trying to achieve the kingdom of heaven. They have all this head knowledge. They had all this head knowledge, but they had no relationship with God. They did not know Him. It is so unfortunate that you have so many people with so many ideas pointing in every different direction saying, well, you can get to God this way, you can do it this way, you can do that, or you can do this. Every other religion that is not Christianity is a, is a work-based system. It is you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you'll get this. It is don't do that and do this. Don't do that and do this. It is all. Every, man, every man-made system is all about works. Doing this, being moral, trying to do your best, trying to achieve God. And by itself, by itself, the only one of its kind, the one that is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ that is given to men from God is, I did this, receive it. Just take it. It's yours. It is the life preserver. It is the, 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 the thing that we all desire. And we don't have to work for it. It is Jesus' work. His complete work. When He was up on the cross, He said, it is finished. He did it all. He paid the penalty in full. It is not 
works. But the disciple receives that. Because you have the scribe that wants to work. They, they have the knowledge of God, but they don't possess God. But then you have the disciple. He is the one who is changed by the gospel. That hears the words of Christ. That is completely changed on the inside. They have a knowledge and a faith of God. The scribe will tell you that, man, Christianity has some good philosophies. But no, Christianity is not a philosophy. It is a relationship with Christ. It is experiencing God every day in every way of your life. It is not just a, a one-time-a-week uh, one thing where you come in together. No, you should experience the Lord Jesus Christ out there. We just come together as a corporate uh, worshiping uh, house where we come together and we uh, uh, get together and we, we, we try to encourage one another, we teach one another, and we help one another. This is where you can just come in and you can relax and you can be nurtured by the Word, that you can be led into the truths of God. A disciple is different from a scribe because they're able to live the life not just pointing how to do it. They don't just say, here, go do this. They're, they're able to say, here, watch this. They look like Christ because they are in the image of Christ. And they're handling their way, or they're handling their life in a way that is pleasing to God. They are transformed from the inside. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. Well, what kind of fruit is that? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and faithfulness. That is what Jesus says the fruit of the Spirit is. Did I describe you? Did I describe you? Is that what you were being transformed into? Do you see the love of God coming out in your family, in your homes, in your, in your workspace? Do you have the joy of the Lord to know that you are right with Him and that your sins are no longer burdening down on you, that they've been paid for, the chains are released, you are no longer a slave to the penalty of sin? Do you have peace to know that God is for you and not against you? Do you have patience? Where, man, this, this, this trial is just, oh, I just don't see any way out. God, I just can't do it on my own. But I know that you have a way. That you will see me through and you will take me to the other side. Do you have that peace? Or that your life may end tonight. That you, it, it might be your number. And God, I am okay with that. I will have the patience because my life is in your hands. Do you have kindness? Are you able to, to be kind to your spouse, your kids? Or how about this? The jerk that told you off. You able to be kind to them? The person that cuts you off in traffic? Now, I ain't going to call you out, but I saw a couple heads shaking no. And I'm right there with you, all right? Somebody cut me off. You know. But goodness, are we seeking goodness? Is that a fruit? That, that comes out of your life that you were just being good. You were, you were having the attributes of Christ just flowing out of you. And faithfulness. To know that God is completely faithful. That everything He has said, He will do. That every time He said that I'm going to do this, it has happened. You, you were talking about the person that spoke everything into existence and it came. So if He says it, man, you can have faith that He's going to do it. But do we have that faithfulness in Him that we trust Him with all aspects of our life? 
with our marriage, with our kids, with our job, with our church. You know, this is a scary time for a church, and I know things about scary times. I've been in it. This past year and a half, our church has had some really big issues and things gone on, and our lead pastor uh, got called out, and everybody was, didn't know what to do. But, you know, we were faithful because we knew God would lead the way. And it's been a, a blessing. It's been a wonderful time. Because it's funny, in our weakness, God is strong. But do you have those fruits? And I will tell you, you cannot have those fruits. That you will be a poser and a fake just trying to do those if you are not rooted in Christ. Because without the roots, you can have no fruit. But we get to the point of the sermon. This is the PowerPoint. This is what I want you to understand. And when I ask the title, do you understand? This is it. The point is, do you have the gospel or does the gospel have you? You know, there's a lot of people out there that say they have the gospel. There's a lot of people out there that proclaim Christianity and say that, you know, he, he is uh, their God. And, and you see their life and you see no fruit. And if you would even ask them to articulate the gospel, and they're, uh, uh, I don't know. You're telling me that your whole eternal destiny rides on the gospel, but you can't tell me what that is. They have the gospel, but the gospel doesn't have them. Or you could say it this way. Does God have control of you? Does God have control of you? Do you base your decisions on what God would want you to do? Is the Bible just something that you just throw down and, and you might stand over and you're like, well, if I like this, I'll do this. If I like that, I'll do that. Or is the Bible the authority over your life? Is it what you look to? Is it what guides you? Is it what leads you? Is it what you are basing your decisions on? That I want to be sold out for Christ and no one else. I have a wonderful deacon in my church to give us an illustration. That his father was an alcoholic his, his whole uh, youth life. And he said it would be terrible times where he, he's drunk, he'd pass out places and all these different things. Well, the, the good news on the story is he was saved and he never touched alcohol again. But he would tell his son this amazing truth. He said, you know, when I was in the back seat of my life, things were better. And he would ask, what does that mean? It means when I wasn't driving, when Jesus was the one driving, man, my life was awesome. It was smooth. It was great. But when I would jump over that seat and I'd grab the wheel and I would do the things that I want to do and I would drink again and, and I would uh, do this and I would fulfill this lust and this desire, man, it was like I was swerving all over the place and I was hitting things and it was just like my life was a wreck. But when I was in the back seat and letting Jesus drive, when he was in control, man, it was just a wonderful trip. It was living life to its fullness. What we must understand is we are purchased by the blood of Christ. We are no longer to live for ourselves, but we are to live for Him. It is His will that we are to seek. It is His will that we are to try to uh, find out in our lives. And everybody as a pastor wants to ask me what the perfect will of God is. I will tell you what the perfect will of God is and it will blow your mind. No, I can't tell you what job you should take. I can't tell you what this you should do or that you should do or what relationship you should be in. But I tell you, wherever you're at, wherever you're planted, bloom for Christ. 
It is wherever you're at. That is your mission field. Christians, I am telling you that no matter where you're at, whatever job you have, wherever your home is, uh, whatever your kids are doing, that is your mission field. You are to be Christ for those people. The biggest thing, I'm I'm a mechanic. I've worked in dealerships for 20-some years now, and I hated it about 10 years ago. I was just so frustrated with the the cussing and the the rap music being played. And You know, we're guys in a shop. We're kind of rough around the edges, you might say. I don't want to give sailors a bad name, but, you know, I kind of feel like we're sailors uh, in the shop. And I just hated it because it brought me down. And I told my wife, I just want to quit and get away from these people. And my wife, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, looked at me and said, Justin, you might be the only Jesus those people see. Shine for Christ. Shine for Christ. Stop worrying about yourself. And do what you're called to do and be a Christian to those people. Share the gospel. Show them what a Christian looks like. Show them what a a different life they could be leading if they had Jesus in their life. And I can tell you what, I've led my boss to Christ. We've had prayer meetings before work. We've had other people come to Christ. I've had people that do not believe in God come to me when their child is sick asking for prayer. That's a big thing when you have non-believers coming up to you asking for prayer. They know where the power of God resides and it resides in the Christians. So I ask you, I beg you, exercise your faith in the Word of God. It's not every day I wake up and I feel saved. It's not every day I wake up and, man, I'm on cloud nine. I'm just me and Jesus or just walking, and I feel wonderful about myself. There are days that I even question, man, would would somebody that's saved even think that about somebody? Your salvation does not rest on your feelings. It rests on the Word of God Himself. I like that word justification because in the Greek it is a legal term of a declaration. And what this means is that God Himself in the courtroom of heaven has declared that I am righteous. That means I cannot go against what God has said. He has the power to override me. God is God and I am not. Whether I feel like I am His or not, He has declared it through His gospel. His salvation is mine. Whether I am happy about it, whether we are going on the mountaintop, or whether we are dark in the valley going through some things, I am His because He has declared it. And there is no better uh, comfort that you can have than knowing that God has said this. Because like I said before, the same God that spoke everything in existence has declared you righteous. You are His forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank You for this night. And Lord, I thank You for Your Word that You have given us to reveal who You are, to reveal Your work, To reveal that you love us and you want a relationship with us. So much that you would put our sins on your son and that he would bear those for us. Lord, I ask if there is anyone here 
that does not know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, let them repent of their sins. Let them come to you and humbly uh, before your throne, Lord, and be saved. And Father, if there's Christians here that are just going through the thick of it, Lord, if they are down and depressed in in this uh, hateful, dying world, Lord, I pray peace upon them. Lord, let them cling to the cross of Calvary. Lord, let them cling to knowing that you love them with a passion that they can't even understand. Father, we thank you and we, we, we pray that you do the work that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.